0: Welcome to episode 25 of the Bike Karma Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Brown. This is a place where we try and bring together bicycle stories from all over the world. From New York, we have Alex Bell, who tells us about his bolt-together bicycle kit. We talk to Stephen Holly from the UK, author of The Evolution of a Mammal. Mammal stands for middle-aged man in Lycra. And we talk about bicycle head badges with Eva Brook, an archeologist from Vancouver. Jen Green, an artist who designs them, and three builders from the North American Handmade Bicycles Show who had very special symbols and stories behind their bicycle head badges. We also check in to see what Joe Doherty from episode 14 of Bike Karma is up to these days. You have a lot of podcasts you could be listening to, so I appreciate you coming along for a ride on mine. Let's roll out. out to make the best phone in the world it would look a lot different than the current iPhone or the Android because you would focus on exactly what you wanted and not worry so much about what's gonna sell the best sometimes designing a functional product is at odds with trying to make a product as a business So what if you freed yourself of all those constraints, and you just purely worked on what you wanted to build and make it the best that you could for your purposes? That's kind of what Alex Bell did. Instead of going out and buying a perfectly good Brompton folding bike, he decided to build his own small bicycle for a small New York City apartment. So this segment is going to be a little bit shark tank, and a little bit like an engineering design challenge reality show. He came up with a bolt together design, and thanks all the micro manufacturers these days he was able to get a small batch of all the parts he needed produced he created a bike kit that's actually quite reasonable both to build and in price i asked him about it after seeing some of his pictures on instagram it's kind of a fun looking little bike you sit upright the wheels are really close together it folds really well and becomes quite compact and you steer it by sitting upright and grabbing the handlebars which are kind of underneath your butt
1: Hey, this is Alex. I'm from New York City and I'm an engineer and I just launched a new kind of bicycle, the Bell Cycle, on Kickstarter. And I'm the engineer and uh, designer of that bike. Yeah, the Bell Cycle is really unusual. Probably just as unusual as I am. It's front-wheel drive. It's uh, really compact and you bolt it together. So it's like Lego for adults. Why would you try and redesign the bicycle? (laughs) Yeah, it definitely seems like one of those things, right? One of the things I get, the comment I get most often is like, don't you know to leave better off alone? Like, didn't we decide on a design like a hundred and something years ago and we moved on? I live in New York City, very small apartment. I grew up in New York City, very small apartment. I always wanted to, as a kid, build a bike from scratch. Build it from nothing, just as you would like a computer kit. I'm an electrical engineer slash software developer, kind of day job, but I've always loved, you know, working with my hands and making all kinds of stuff. I really like just pushing the envelope and seeing, like, what odd and weird things I can do. You know, a few years ago, I just started looking at my, my regular bike, which I commute through New York City on. I thought to myself, you know, it's kind of big. Like, you know, what if I smushed it? What if I made the wheel small? What if I brought them together so they're barely touching? You know, okay, well, we can make it front-wheel drive. And, and from there, you know, kind of just, like, through it every a known design consideration out the window and thought like, what would, what would just a weird thing that's meant for, that would be good for you in your small apartment in New York would look like? So, you redesigned a bicycle because real estate in New York is crazy? <laughs> um, that, that could be one interpretation yeah I redesigned the bicycle because not from any sense of like this is a definite need out there in the market but more from a I'm an engineer I like playing and tinkering with things what's the like perfect bicycle for me what's the bicycle that I would have loved I would like to have and so that's one that you know I can bolt together everything and put it back together and we can figure it how I want and it's got to be much smaller and it's got to be lighter and that's kind of where I, this is how I ended up on my design. But yeah, I guess you can think about it like crazy New York City housing makes bicycle crazy as well. You're in a pretty small group of bicycle
0: lovers who actually try and reimagine the whole bicycle. There's a lot of people who like
2: to riff on it. Say, "Oh, I like longer seat stays, or I like uh, shorter chain stays, or I like the fork to have a bit more rake or a bit less rake. And you were just kind of like, no, 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 (laughs) I wanted these wheels to be as close together as possible. And then you have the steering mechanism is under your butt, right? Yeah, exactly. It seems from the outside, like you were just like trying to have fun. Yeah
1: for that one I had the handlebars on uh, one kind of iteration that was in front of me as on a regular bike but I was just thinking a with the wheels very close together I wanted my center of mass kind of right in the center so I didn't really want to be leaning forward and I thought like when I'm sitting on a chair I'm my back's just straight and my hands are down by my side so why are my handlebars there also. And what I found is kind of the best way to do it is think of yourself, like, what what do you want? You know, sometimes it's dangerous, but if you build a product for just one person, like yourself, you know exactly what you want and what the perfect product for you would have. For the product that, you know, for the consumer of one, me, um, this is the product that is like perfect for me because it ticks every single box that I want. It's front wheel drive, so the pedal and the axis of the pedal rotation is through the front wheel. The front and rear wheel are basically touching. The user is sitting kind of in the middle, above in between but above the wheels. Their hands are kind of by their thigh and the handlebar is under their butt and then scoring the handlebar curved around, so it's kind of by their, their left and right thighs. There's a kind of rear pivot under their seat too, so it it kind of looks in many ways like a shrunken down penny farthing, but it has a few differences. Yeah, there's a bigger wheel in front. I mean, you could have the same size wheel, but I thought I so I have a, a much bigger wheel, like a 24 inch wheel in the front and a 20 inch wheel in the back.
0: So a pictures worth a thousand words. So go check out some of the pictures I posted of this
1: bicycle. It really is kind of a unique design the gearing system so it's you know it's not direct drive like a traditional penny farthing it's it has a freewheel and you can shift gears on some of the versions between seven gears using a regular derailleur. The chain has a kind of circuitous path up and around. And then the last part that makes it kind of really unusual if you look closely at it, is the construction. Whereas the usual bike would be TIG or MIG, welded together steel and or maybe laminated carbon fiber. This bike is made up of CNC cut out pieces of aluminum that then bolt together on standard tubing. So whether it be carbon fiber tubing or in my preferred version, just aluminum 2024 tubing it's not like you know sns couplings or something where you're splitting the frame in half we're talking about like literally there is no frame there is a collection of tubes and pieces of aluminum that bolt together i really wanted it to be like the bare bones that not just you're assembling a kit of a frame but it truly kind of breaks apart to anything because it's, because it's like that, it also makes it like really modular. So you can just, I can just lengthen the rear section. So I, I put like a two by four, or a two by six in there and I can stack some boxes and it's basically a cargo bike. I can put two wheels back there and make it a trike. So because it's literally nothing is set in stone, it also makes it extremely modular. And I mean, I'm not a huge historian, but I feel, I mean, but I you always know, read like the first Model T um, On a Model T, when it came out, it came with a whole book about this is how you rebuild the engine, this is how you turn it into a, a PTO unit, this is how you do all these different things. So, I feel like it's not that strange that um, people would get. Maybe it's more strange today, but it's not that strange that someone would want to like, really tear into, build up something, and then have the know how to make it, you know, in the future wherever they want it. It's foldable just by its design because the rear pivot folds, so. It folds without having to pull up any kind of latches or anything. It just folds in half. It's very small. Can't get it much shorter than that. It's pretty inexpensive because you're making it as a kit and because there's not a lot of labor going into the welding and painting and stuff like that. And I would say I find it now more comfortable in terms of having my back straight. Um, Especially in the city, um, I can easily see where everything everything that's happening. And I can easily steer around all the parked cars and blocking and opening taxi doors and stuff like that. Yeah, I've ridden a few recumbents. I feel it's it's way more upright than a recumbent, so I'm I'm just as tall as probably as I am on a regular bike. So I don't feel like I'm hidden as if I would on a recumbent, but it definitely feels more like a recumbent in that um, my like the sitting position is more I would say more comfortable. I commute on it all throughout New York City, so I feel as safe as I ever did as I did on my regular bike when people first start riding it they definitely feel like this is unusual this is moving all kinds of ways in the beginning it definitely takes getting used to but at this point for me yeah so this is safe i'm not a huge cycling athlete but i go i can go just as fast on this bike as i can on my regular bike you know probably on the hudson river greenway i don't know 18 miles per hour 20 something like that if i'm like trying to haul as fast as i can yeah, so it launched uh yesterday or the day before. And the minimum I need is five thousand dollars. And so that's already been passed. I think it's at seven now. And for starting at two forty nine, but for the regular deal it's three forty nine. So three hundred forty nine dollars. You get everything you need in the kit to uh to build the bike yourself. And there's a few stress versions that we're going to be offering if we get up that high, like an electric kit from a company I worked with, a seven-speed kit, a, tri- a tricycle and cargo bike kit. But the base version is just single speed and two wheels. So it's going to happen. You've already hit your mark. Yeah, I already hit the mark. So it's going to happen.
2: You could just be walking around New York
1: City just wearing yeah. you know, clothes and people give you weird comments. So That's the understand. best part, yeah. I get lots of crazy, I get lots of hilarious comments. I get a lot of, like, I think some of the weirdest ones have been things that I don't fully understand. Like, you're a bad man. Like, what? what is this? This is, you know, you're a, <laughs> you're a bad man. But I don't know, I think it sounded positive, though, in the way it was said. So I think it's a, it's a term of endearment. I get a lot of, like, holy hell, like, what is that? Or uh, did you make that yourself? Things like that. I get a lot of, like, guy pulls up next to you in the car and he's videotaping, and then I look at him, and he just keeps on videotaping. It's a little awkward. Um, but yeah, I definitely get lots of odd, odd comments. Have people asked you to ride it? Yeah, definitely. Usually younger people. Definitely, people ask me like, "Dot me and like, can I ride it? Can I give a shot?" And so yeah, I def- I mean, unless I'm in a big hurry, I'll always give someone a ride. So on the Instagram and stuff, you can see some videos of like, different people around New York giving a shot, riding around in different parks, areas, etc. Yeah, I think big picture, I want to produce this version of the bike and get it out there and, and really collect feedback on what people thought about it, what they thought about the whole process. I mean, the idea of building a bike for yourself, and does that really apply to, to anyone else besides me? And do feel people feel comfortable that, that they're skilled enough to do that? Um, it's pretty simple, but you get feedback on that. Um, and then experiment in terms of w- what could be next in terms of that. I would love to maybe go further into a cargo bike. I mean, the cargo bikes are really interesting, and they're very expensive. I think because they're producing in smaller quantities and potentially also because the shipping just getting such a large vehicle potentially out to you is expensive but you know if you're really building it yourself there's no reason it, it doesn't it does not hold it doesn't make a lot of sense to me why the cargo bike is so much more astronomically expensive than a regular bike so i'd love to take a look at that and in general just any way i can think of democratizing more cycling so anything that can get more people cycling especially in the cities is something that interests me it allows you to have the creativity without needing the welding background. Mhm. The modular aspect is definitely something where um, it could open up for people exactly like you said, tall bikes, different kinds of bikes, like pedal cabs, all kinds of things. It's like Lego for adults. So I I designed the the bicycle in Fusion 360, which is a, a free free CAD service provided by Autodesk and so I design it all there, and then I export the parts, and I send them off to a company called Big Blue Saw in Atlanta, and they just cut out the the parts out of aluminum for you send it to me. So, I mean, really, anyone could kind of do this without having to, you know, have a a big, you know, garage and all kinds of access and stuff. That's a pretty cool advancement in technology that, that could be opening up more people to have to be able to do this.
2: If people want to see more of your bike,
1: yeah, just go to just search Bell Cycle. so B E L L C Y C L E S dot com, um, or on Instagram, Bell Cycles, Twitter, Bell Cycles, you know, where, wherever you need to. And there should be lots of videos on there riding around on different different city streets, different things.
0: Thank you so much for being on the show.
1: Thank you.
3: Hi, my name's Steve Holly. I'm from the UK, and I'm the author of the book *Evolution of a Mammal*. Uh, it's a story about a trip I did as a middle-aged man in Lycra, and I cycled nearly five thousand kilometres from the very north of Scotland to the southern tip of Europe at the bottom of Spain. Uh, During the trip, I'd made it down to the south coast of Spain and I'd completed yet another day of brutal riding through undulating terrain and really blistering heat, so hot. To get through like 10 litres of water a day, it was kind of crazy hot. But I got through to the end of the day, I was absolutely knackered, I was done in. I found a campsite, but as I cycled up, I found out that it was actually a naturist campsite.
0: So just to be clear, he shows up at a campground after a long day of touring to find nobody's wearing clothes.
3: Um. So after verifying that it was uh, what that actually meant from the from the guy at the kiosk, I kind of took the decision that I didn't know anybody here. So uh, so yeah, why not? I was going to go for it. So um, so I entered the campsite. Um, and just to uh, found it uh, just a normal looking campsite just with, strangely with loads of people walking around naked in it, um, kind of strange for a, for a prudent Englishman to be found himself in a naturist campsite um, but uh, not wanting to look like a newbie uh, kind of put on an air of confidence, um, cycled for spot where I wanted to go to, my pitch I um, started cycling on the cross but I was kind of so preoccupied with uh, this new environment I found myself in I didn't notice a small area of deep sand and uh, as everyone knows as soon as I hit the, the deep sand, bang, the bike stopped dead tried to get my feet out of the clips uh, couldn't Fortunately, it's kind of keeled over to one side but managed to get hold of a tree Uh, but it was just far enough out of my reach that it left me in a limbo, kind of hanging at 45 degrees unable to move, unable to get my feet out of the clips and it kind of felt like I was lying there for an eternity eventually, with my pride completely shattered I managed to get myself out there and uh, cycle across to my pitch. Um, Very strange experience very funny when I look back on it, but um, very embarrassing and humiliating at the same time I uh, went through quite a few funny moments on the trip, quite a lot of really euphoric ones as well. If you've ever been on a, a long adventure you've really, it's a, you'll know what I mean but it's a really amazing experience. I was never really a cyclist before, I just wanted to go out on a crazy adventure, hit midlife crisis. I uh, decided I wanted to do something crazy while I still could and went and did it yeah so I've, I've wrote a book about it as I say called The Evolution of a Mammal available on Amazon hopefully uh, Tom will put a link to it on the Bicycle Karma podcast page um, so yeah so if you want to hear more about it please feel free to go and get that and uh, and give it a read i think you'll like it it's kind of very honest and open uh, and quite a funny book i think so yeah so that's it really so thanks very much to tom for letting me uh, be on the show and if any, anybody wants to contact me please feel free to at steve.holly at outlook.com or uh, on twitter i am the uncensored mammal so thanks very much for everyone for listening and yeah thanks from the uk okay bye bye
0: To some it's just advertising, but to others the iconography of head badges has been mystifying since the early days of bicycle production. To make one bike different from the other one, especially when they were all painted black, they put different badges on the head tubes those badges implied certain qualities and certain allegories that would make people fall in love with their bicycles so we talked to an archaeologist from vancouver about her interest in bicycle head badges
4: there's certain ones that i have that i love. But then there's certain ones that it's almost like eventually I'll find it. It'll come to me and I'll see it. And I was, had been looking for the Phillips um, with the lion, and I found that like about a month ago and I was pretty excited. Hi, I'm Eva Brook and I take photographs of bike emblems and put them on Instagram. Uh, the first time I remember noticing bicycle emblems, I was probably, I was probably a kid. They're just, uh, you always look at the, as a girl, I don't know, maybe a lot of the guys I know, they look at the components. You know, oh, is that a SRAM or whatever. I always looked at the the type of bicycle and I would always look at the emblem or the side if you couldn't tell the name of the bike. And some of the emblems, I, I was you know I was born in the 70s, so I grew up in the 80s. And when I was young, a young kid, some of the older bikes were still around and some of them were, the emblems are just really beautiful. The enamel work on them, which is they crush glass and different colors and then they take they make a mold or of the, like a metal mold and then they pour the different colors in. And some of them are really bright and vibrant. And my first bike was a Raleigh and I, I've always loved the Raleigh symbol because of that and they have I think it's almost kind of like a art nouveau style it looks like a bird I think that's probably when I started noticing them but what do you do with that right
0: if I've got a bike with a really interesting head badge it becomes a good bike to me the head badge helps to make the character of the bike maybe I'm just being manipulated but it changes how I feel about the bike
4: oh yeah oh yeah I think I agree with you that looking at the emblem is like looking at the, it's almost like the face of the bike or almost the heart of the bike. I think it's maybe the last thing they put on, but for me, it it tells you so much about it and there's more, you know, the creation of a bike, making of a bike, it's an art. Like I couldn't personally weld together a frame of a bike and then add all the components. I don't even know if I could draw a bike and how it works, even though I ride them all the time. But the bike emblems themselves, you need to be an artist to make, especially the older ones, not so much now, but I guess maybe graphic designer now, but you need to be an artist to being able to create some of the images of the bike emblems that you use, you, that especially the older ones. And it's kind of been lost over time. So as I said, like I grew up in the, '40s in the 70s, grew up in the, I guess, mostly in the 80s, and used to see these emblems all the time, the older ones. And as time went on, you started to see not these beautiful, well-made, well-crafted emblems of a bike that you'd recognize right away. Oh, that, that's a Raleigh, or that's a Triumph, or and instead you started seeing the sticker. And, or if it was an emblem, a very simple, 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 basic emblem, so minimal, Effort and definitely not a piece of art which is what I think they are now or were then.
0: One thing that really upsets me is that we have a guy near me who takes the head badges off the bikes because sometimes they're worth more than the entire bike itself. And he takes them off and then he sells the bike separately and sells the badges on eBay. And to me, I know the bikes aren't alive, but it just seems ruthless. It just seems like you're destroying the artifact of the bike. Kind of like when you take the tusk off of an elephant to save it. Once that head badge is gone, it's still rideable, it's still fixable, you can donate it, but it's lost part of its story. The history is kind of lost.
4: It's funny, when I look, I was looking online for, sometimes when I go out and take a picture of a bike emblem, it's dark, and the picture I usually take of the side, if it's an emblem, I don't recognize. I um, have to look at the side to kind of write down what the bike was and if I can't find that. In piece of information, I go online and I look to see if, is there an emblem with a bird and a, an A or uh, clouds or whatever. And I see all of these bike emblems online for sale. And I just think, oh my God, like, why didn't anybody just keep the bikes? What happened to the bikes that they're attached to? And I never thought that people are just taking them off and selling them separate. But they are, you know, you see people making jewelry out of them online. The older ones, you, you know, they're, they're very collectible. Some of them are worth, you know, hundreds of dollars if they're more rare. So, it's definitely a market for them, but its I agree with you. it's just it's infuriating and at the same time it's really sad because I, I also agree when I see a bike without an emblem because I'm always looking at bikes all the time that are on the street and it's—it it is sad. It's sad because you know it's lost its identity. There's also, um, kind of a revival of different artists making, uh, head badges. So you can buy them mm-hmm. as well. And some custom bikes, like Vancouver is, uh, we have like a really big biking community, especially mountain biking community. And there's a lot of artists that are bike makers and manufacturers that were at least maybe not as much now, but definitely when mountain biking first came into style in the nineties and early two thousands, they're making them locally and they were making like head badges. And you can find some really beautiful ones even now. Kind of brings us, bringing the art back, but it's definitely, um, Um, custom-made bikes that you pay a little bit more money for it's not as common as every you know everybody's bike on the street most of them will have just a a sticker
0: the North American handmade bicycle show is coming up in my area and one of the great things about that is looking at some of these smaller producers they are putting the images back into the head badges. They're putting the effort back into the face of the bicycle, telling the stories and evoking the feelings. It's a mini
4: renaissance. It is interesting. Some of the, I guess, some of the designs that they are creating like there's a, a local one and it has like an indigenous kind of indigenous artist, Bill Reed. Um, he's from Canada and one of the bikes actually has taken a similar Bill Reed design. I hope, you know, they paid copyright for it, but it's beautiful to see that expressed as well, like a local art in in the head badges from an, from an area. Because a lot of the earlier stuff, like I guess some of the older stuff, kind of eras in art and didn't really reflect the low, where the bikes were made. There's kind of more general like it was more of part of, <laughs> I guess maybe part of the Industrial Revolution, right? Where you have bikes that are made in large manufacturers and then the only thing to dis- distinguish them from each other was to put a badge on. But it was never, you know, some of them are you know, Raleigh made in Birmingham or you know, the, the American made in Derby. And some of them say it, Italy. But they're, they're never like actually like a local, you know, made in North Vancouver or made in, you know, Haida Gwaii or something like that, that actually pinpoints to the, to the area, like the specific area. So you don't see that in the modern bikes, but some of the older ones have it, but the, but that's kind of coming back now as well. Kind of that pride, that local pride of we make this bike here.
0: When I went to Iceland and I was looking at the bicycles there, I saw tons of brands that I had never seen before. So you've been traveling, and that has inspired you to start noticing these head badges. Can you tell
4: us about that? Oh yeah. Um, well, I, I guess I've been taking pictures of bike badges for a while, but I had done nothing with it. And I was in—I um, went to Flanders and Belgium this summer with my sister and my brother-in-law, and we were. Outside of a church, and they were filming like a 1960s TV show, Belgium TV show, and they had all these beautiful cars, and then they had a bunch of bikes um, lined up. And of course, I went right to the bikes and I started taking pictures of the badges. And then as we were walking around and traveling through Belgium, I started noticing bikes everywhere. I guess in Europe, there's a bit more, and started taking pictures of all the badges. And then when we went back to England, I did the same thing and then we came I came home and then went out to Toronto in the fall and was walking around with my partner and I was taking pictures of bike badges and he's like, you know, constantly stopping and taking pictures. Toronto has an incredible amount of bikes, especially in the university district, where uh, I guess a lot of students have borrowed their parents' old, cool 70s or 60s bikes because they're all the rage now. I know in, in Canada, at least, a lot of uh, young 20, 30-year-olds are riding around on vintage bikes. It's a, it's a huge thing. And, and, of course, it's interesting because the bikes are kind of, they're parked on the road, and there are these bikes that probably were in the 1970s, you know, some of the more expensive, beautiful road bikes or or even just commuter bikes, some of these, they should be in museums. And they're just sitting out in the salty, snowy conditions of Toronto. And here I am, going around and taking pictures of them all. And my partner is like, what are you going to do with all those photos? And he's like, you should uh, you should put just make an Instagram page just of bike badges. Because I'd been putting them on my own personal Instagram, but as collections. And so I did, and, you know, came home and we went up. I've taken pictures all around locally around Vancouver. Especially certain neighbourhoods have much better uh like a variety of bikes and we went down to mexico for my brother's wedding in november and of course i'm always on the lookout and they had some pretty interesting bikes down there but of course the brands as you said like you, i don't know some of the brands i've never seen them before especially in mexico i couldn't even read you know some of the names are understand like where they're made, maybe in Spain, maybe Mexico. Definitely different styles, different manufacturers. I look forward to my next vacation when I have a lot of time to just wander around the city and look for bikes and have other adventures. My favorite badges, ooh, there's, I really love the Empire Cycle badge. I think it's a Canadian bike. Uh, Dawes, I think that's main uh, England. The Shields Deluxe Cycle, that's the the front of my Instagram site. It's, um, it's a beautiful, beautiful head badge. Prasso, that was one I saw in Belgium, uh, but I think it's a French bike. It's um, The badge itself, the badge is beautiful, but it's the weathering on the badge. It's just, it's all rusted and, you know, the enameling's kind of coming off, but it, it, it's just perfect the way it is. And Sakine, and I think I've probably mentioned Raleigh a few times. It's clearly one of my favorites because it was one of my first bikes. And I actually have a, I have a vintage, it's a Triumph, but Raleigh made Triumph. And um, that's from the 1960s and that's, I've actually not taken a picture of it and put it up yet. And the badge on it, the bike is, I bought it in an antique store in Seattle and for like $120. And the bike is mint. It, everything is perfect on it. It must have maybe been ridden a, one summer and left in the garage for years and the badge is mint the seat is an original brook saddle It probably worth more than the bike um but yeah i I will probably take a a few pictures of it this summer when the when i when i take it out to ride it
0: I think one of my favorites is the rudge with the hand. It's very mysterious. Have you seen that one?
4: Oh, actually I have, when you said the hand. Yeah, I have. It's from England, right? And it's got like a red triangle behind it.
0: Yep, and the icon of the hand is found everywhere on the bicycle. So on the back fender, on the crank itself. So it's like the, the circle of the crank actually has a hand in the middle of it. So I'm not really sure what it means, but it's very mysterious. It's like the eye on the dollar bill.
4: Yeah, it's definitely one of the odder or-
0: ones so ironically when i went to do some further research nobody is definitively sure where the hand symbolism comes from on Rudge bikes some think that it's a militia group from northern ireland and others think that it might be a reference to it being hand built but no one is definitively sure that i've been able to find i'd love to have somebody call in with this
4: I really love the enameled ones. Maybe it's just the amount of work that goes into them. They remind me of—I guess I'm an archaeologist as well—and so enamel work is something you've always noticed. It's like meant for the higher-status people, and you know, King Tutankhamun's headdress is—you know—gold with enamelware on it. And it's some—it's a technology that was used all over through Greece and China. Rome and by the Celts and the Greeks and Persians, and distribute to make something look beautiful, that reflection of the glass on the metal.
0: So as an archaeologist, what do you think about the original artist who came up with these designs? I mean, it was basically commercial art but at the same time, it evoked uh, passions and branding uh, far beyond just a little picture that they put onto it. We know that Raleigh's took the same bike and branded it differently, but putting those bikes next to each other gives different feelings for each one of the bicycles because of how it's decorated. What do you think about those original makers?
4: Oh, of course, imagine being an artist and being given the, the job or being paid to create, you know, here's the bike, you know, we want it to reflect, we want it to be a racing bike and people to think it's going to be fast and light. And Or we want it to be, you know, appeal to Victorian woman and, and her sensibilities of style and nature, getting out into the country. What's interesting is, like, what is the record of, of those artists? Like, you think of the bikes, but you don't think of the artists. They never sign the badges, but it would be a really interesting uh really interesting job to to actually sit down and kind of think of what the bike purpose of the bike the market trying to please a client at the same time you're trying to make something that you're proud of and that that it will actually it will evoke you know it's a brand name right it's like a trying to distinguish all of these hundreds or possibly thousands of different types of bikes from each other and they do a great job right some of them are just amazing and i think definitely nowadays when you just see a bike with like you know just a name and nothing behind it, it doesn't really evoke the same feeling as the older badges, that's for sure. So the beaver is beaver lumber and it was a hardware local hardware store. I don't even know if they're still around. But yeah, I love the, the beaver sure. as well.
2: One of my best
0: discoveries ever was at a yard sale and this was a bike that had been camouflaged for the city it had been spray painted with black spray paint and it had also been brushed with flat black paint to disguise it so it wouldn't be stolen and it was so incredibly ugly by that point that i purchased it for five dollars having no idea what brand it was when i got it home and i carefully took layer after layer after layer i found that it was a bike called an adler And it was from the 1950s and it was from Germany it was an Adler work bike and they're very very rare here. I remember uncovering the paint and finding eagle after eagle after eagle on the cranks on the head badge.
4: Oh cool, that was very cool. So archaeologically there will be no record of the plastic emblems in the future whereas the metal ones that are enameled will last a lot longer. See, it's, somebody, um, it's an argument, an argument to preserve the, the metal badge.
0: Thank you very much for sharing your stories. Where would people go if they want to see some of your head badges or see the pictures you've taken?
4: Well, I, they're all on Instagram and it, the site is uh, Bike Emblem. Should be easy to find. Yes, well, thank, thank you, Tom. You thank much. you for having me, uh, interviewing me for your show. It's been fun. Just It's been fun just to yeah. talk about Bike Emblems because nobody really does.
0: You'd be surprised there's people who do. oh really (laughs) there's one guy i know who even counterfeited some oh really yeah i'm not sure if he told people what he was doing but he would pour metal and make molds and then he would paint them and then he put them back onto the bike and then sell the originals on ebay he wanted to have his cake and eat it too i guess
4: no way that's insane yeah but imagine the tip to to do that it seems uh you know.
0: Yep, there's some meticulous people out there.
4: Well, yeah, I guess some of the things that people do I never would have even imagined. <laughs> oh, well.
0: Well, thank you very much.
4: Okay, hey, thanks, Tom. Take care. Bye.
0: So on the end of talking to an archeologist about the history of head badges and their meanings, I went to the North American Handmade Bicycle Show and actually spoke with some of the makers there who are making hand-built custom-made bicycles. And when they put the head badges on their bikes, what's the meaning behind some of the iconography there? So this one was pretty cool. It had three horses being chased by a wolf and the wolf was being chased by bats. What's the story behind it?
5: Oh, my name is Vlad Dolinsky. I'm from New Jersey. Originally, I came from uh, Ukraine 27 years ago. Um, so the idea about the badge came from my, I guess, background. Uh, so I'm from Western Ukraine. Western Ukraine, and um, so the part of the U- Ukraine I was growing up was used to be part of Romania before World War II. So the idea about the bats and the wolves came from Transylvania, that part of the region. So after World War II, it became part of Ukraine and Soviet Union. At the time. So I was growing up in Soviet Union. So Troika, the three horses, basically, it's, it's more Russian symbol. So that's how the NBA kind of combined the Russian symbol with Transylvanian symbol. Since this is my background, and my heritage, and kind of did it, you know, in, in my head badge. So now all my bikes show that, you know, show the heritage um, where I came from. So.
0: It's very inspiring. It <laughs> looks like everything is moving in that. Yeah,
5: thank everything you. Everything is moving fast. And uh, yeah, I had Jennifer Green, she's uh, from Philadelphia, who actually created the badge from the idea um, that I had. Um, yeah, and that's what it is. Oh, Vlad, yeah, so yeah, you can you can go to vladcycles.com uh, and you can see more bikes. And then actually, I have, have badges, pictures, on that as well. Okay, thank you.
0: The next one had an eagle with a very old-world European
6: flavor. Brian Miller, I'm from uh, Iridae, USA.
0: You have a beautiful looking bicycle, you have a beautiful looking head badge, and I was recently doing a segment on head badges, so you mentioned that yours is from 1919 even though this is a brand new bike, so is there a story behind the head
6: badge? Well, it's the traditional head badge that Iride has been using since 1919, all the graphics that we have. And the the traditional coat of arms is an old world European traditional thing that uh, back from the medieval times to distinguish your castle from the neighboring castle. So this was developed uh, to show the Marca Depositata of Iride in 1919.
0: The type of craftsmanship ninety percent of the people I would show this to would say I ride uh-huh. and then you say Irude. What What's going on there?
6: Well, Iride is the Italian word and uh, back in the early part of the century, there was no relevance to anything that started with an I, whatever. Plus, the Italians would never get the pun because there's no word for ride in Italian. Okay. So, what does iridescent mean? Is it a family name? It's, or? it's the iris of the eye. It's the same as the same pronunciation as the root of iridescent. But uh, it's often used oh, to refer to the colored flags of a victorious, uh, the winner's flag, or something on a trophy is often referred to as the iride It's the striped colors of the winner. But we don't mind if you say iRide. If it helps you remember, the website address. Okay. iRideUSA.com All right. Thank you very much.
0: The next one's really artistic looking and it looks almost like three wide blades on a fan or a propeller okay
7: so um, this is Ryan Cargo uh, founder of Juliet designs um, the head badge of the bicycle a lot of people ask if Juliet is my wife and she's not the the source of the name comes from uh, Cannondale bicycle which I bought about 15 years ago used and I like to name all of my vehicles. I named this bicycle Jules, after Jules Verne, one of my favorite authors. And I still ride Jules to this day. But when I went about um, designing my first bicycle, I wanted it to ride and feel very much like Jules, the bicycle. So I told my wife, I said, I want to I make a new bicycle. I want it to ride just like Jules, but it's going to be all curves. It's going to be much sexier. And she said, so it's Juliet. <laughs> and the name totally stuck. So. That bicycle we called Juliet, and then when I started the next one, we thought, you know, you've got to have kind of a name for this whole operation, and um, my creativity was more into the bicycle than the name, so I thought we'll just call it Juliet Designs, so that's where the name comes from. The, the design is something I sketched up as a piece of jewelry, actually I have it on now. Um, about 15 years ago, I was working in a machine shop, and, and the guys were teaching me to use some of the CNC machines. So I was, I was sketching a lot of a lot of designs that I wanted to produce and it was just a kind of a three-sided star design that I sketched that I I liked that I turned into a necklace which I still wear today and um, I think it was a little bit uh, a little bit of a sign of fate because my wife is southern Italian I didn't know her at the time um, and uh, she's from very close to Sicily and the Sicilian coat of arms is a three-legged symbol very much like this one so it's interesting how uh, it kind of foreshadows things to come so when I was trying to to design the badge to go along with the Juliet name I thought you know this would be kind of a cool cool symbol to tie in with that because it's very curvy in nature and and sort of shows connections like you have in a bicycle
0: people want to check out your bikes where would they go
7: yeah so um, right now I've got a website it's www.juliet-designs.com Um, There's some some latest pictures of both bikes on there and a, a few words just about my kind of excitement and philosophy about the bike and I'm sure as the next ones come along I'll try and keep that updated.
0: As I talk to people about head badges, one name comes up over and over again, Jen Green. So I was lucky enough to get her on the phone to talk about her creative process.
8: All right, well, my name's Jen Green and uh, I make custom bicycle head badges. I'm a jeweler by trade and I've been doing this for 20 years now, just making jewelry and I started making head badges when a friend of mine wanted one for his custom boots build. So he was kind of into Buddhism at the time and wanted a, a like an ohm on a single speed cog, so I designed that for him and fabricated it in sterling silver. So that was kind of how the whole thing started with that first head badge when He just didn't like any branding on his bikes and he just wanted something really simple. So I found that kind of, that's how this whole thing kind of snowballed after that. People wanting different stuff on their bikes because the whole head badge thing has kind of, was kind of dropped off the the radar for a lot of bike builders. They were using stickers or uh, mass produced Chinese made badges. There just wasn't any thought put into that onto some of these more expensive bikes. And it seems like there's a resurgence in in the badges now lately with some of the bigger builders and even the smaller builders a lot of people are are asking for custom work which is basically pretty much what I do so and I I mean I do some some badges for small builders around the country but I prefer to do the the custom one-of-a-kind stuff because it's so different every day which is great and doing the mixed metals is pretty cool because you can see that it's handmade it's not something that can be cast or or made by machine it's all it's all done by hand with little tiny jeweler saws. so my jewelry experience is really helpful to be able to do the kind of stuff that I do and with, with all the experience that I have. So but they keep getting more and more intricate the longer I do them and more challenging, which is really fun. So that's it in a nutshell. it's different for everybody really especially the custom ones it could be just the brand of the bike it could be the the face of the bike for other people it could be their personality that they want to impart on that bike or something that they really want to show off or a memorial or you know something about their personality that they want on that bike (laughs) sometimes i get crazy stuff that's already been designed with i mean i had to do one that had a toilet on it with golf clubs and like all this random stuff on it and, and numbers and I, I'm sure there was some kind of story behind it but I, I don't know what it was <laughs> that was kind of funny but I mean some of this stuff just has you know some some of it are memorial. like I just did a badge for somebody that um one of their high school groups their friend had died and um, we did a memorial badge for them so there's wings and in their initials and you know some words around it so kind of to remember their friend who, who died while he was doing a large like a group big group ride which is kind of sad but it's kind of nice at the same time they uh, they want to remember him so they're, they're all getting these badges to put on their bikes so it's just always different stories for everything because it's always so different you know just different every day <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of stories. I mean, I've done I've done badges for people whose parents passed away, and and they sent me a photo of the the number of their house that they grew up in, and I had to use those numbers on incorporate that into a moods badge, so that they could memorialize their parents on their bike. I've done I've done a badge for a friend in California. His father passed away, and and I did a, a portrait of his father. And he's able to put that on the front of his bike, on the top tube, so when he's riding, he's like, my dad's always with me now when I'm riding. And he can look down and his dad's face is on his bike, which is kind of cool. You know, there's just a whole many, and some people just want, you know, they love turtles, so they'll have, I want a, I want a sea turtle, so I'll do a sea turtle moving through a bicycle cog. And that's what they want, you know, for a gift for somebody. they just, I mean, it just runs the gamut of every possible thing you can think of, because it's just so individual. What people want and what they what they what's important to them it's just different all the time, which is what's so challenging about it. So how am I going to make that work? So some of the more complicated things are take a lot of time and a lot of effort and it's not always in somebody's budget, which I totally understand, but sometimes what people are asking is not is harder than they think it is. But I, I've never turned anything down. I mean, I just consider it a challenge, and I, mean, I just—I put it aside for a while. I think about it, how am I gonna do that? It might take me a few weeks to get to it, but usually if I think about it for a long enough time and I just sit down and I just have to buckle in and just start doing it, it usually it always works out. So I just have to be willing to try it. And if you mess it up you start over it's not a big deal so i, I enjoy i enjoy those challenges
0: if you've been thinking hey this sounds kind of cool i've got an idea for a symbol that symbolizes my riding and my personality that i'd like to put on the front of my bicycle i talked to her more specifically about how to get going with the process of getting a custom bicycle head badge design
8: at my website headbadges.com, there's a contact page on there you can send me a quick email and I will get back to you. Um, That's probably the easiest because then I have a record of what we're doing. Uh, We can email images back and forth and ideas. You don't have to have a fleshed out idea. Just if you tell me if what your idea is I can start I can use some images and we can we can come together with something that's probably the best way is the head badges I I do some through Instagram at Jen green head badges but I don't always check that the the websites good and it has a lot of useful information on it like how to measure the head tube and information that I need and um, there's a huge portfolio of all of my past work as much as I can fit on there Um, I've probably done over a thousand head badges maybe more than that in the last 15 years so there's a lot of stuff to look at there and a lot of things to see what I'm capable of doing. So that a lot of times that gives people ideas of what they want, is if they can see what I've already done.
0: Thank you so much for sharing.
8: Yeah, no problem. All right, you too. Thank you.
2: Hey, this is Joe Doherty from the podcast "The BMX in Our Blood." I was on episode 14 of Bike Karma a while back. Uh, And mine obviously is specifically BMX, and there aren't a lot of BMX podcasts, so I'm doing it a little bit differently. Um, And I'm I'm really focusing on the East Coast because that's kind of a niche. There aren't any podcasts on the East Coast for BMX. I prefer to to interview. You know, everyone I I do face-to-face, so I've done every single one face-to-face. I thought, oh, this is great, the BMX podcast. We're not making a living off of this. We're doing it because we're passionate about it. I I love it. I'm just tickled to guess that you started after we taught and that I was there to see the birth of another podcast.
0: You know, it was kind of cool, you know? Absolutely. I want to funnel people towards other good podcasts like yours.
2: That's nice. Thanks each week i publish a interview on bmx so if you want to give my podcast a listen you can locate it on soundcloud or itunes or stitcher just search out the bmx in our blood and it should pop right up otherwise you can find me on instagram at gramdad2000 and also on facebook through my name joe Doherty.
0: Well that's it for another episode of Bike Karma. I'd like to thank Mob Jack and Keller Glass, as always, for our opening and closing theme music. I'd like to thank Alex Bell, Stephen Holly, Jen Green, Joe Doherty, Eva Brooke, Vlad Delinsky from Vlad Bicycles, Brian Miller from Iridi USA, and Ryan Cargo from Juliet Bikes. I'd also like to thank Don Walker from the North American Handmade Bicycle Show, And Maria Hennessy from Smack Marketing for giving me a press pass to that great event. Got a lot of great stories there that you'll hear over the next few upcoming episodes. I'd also like to give a shout out to McCormick and Beale Antiques in the UK. Thanks a lot for tagging me and Carrot Snacks in your pictures of old bicycle photos. If you want to hear more about that, tune into episode 23. Also, like to thank No Breaks 23 for subscribing on Podbeam and the 12,000 plus in 50 states and over 50 countries who've listened to and downloaded the show. I really appreciate it. The best thing you can do to help out the show is to hit like, leave a review, follow, get somebody in Greenland to listen, and tell Oprah about us. We're really keeping our fingers crossed. So far, the Bike Karma podcast is commercial free and maybe someday we're going to find some product that we love, who also loves our show. Maybe that's you. Contact me at bikekarmaguy at gmail.com. You can also contact me there if you have a story idea or any feedback or comments. The Bike Karma podcast is the intellectual property of Tom Brown, copyright, trademark, and all other rights are reserved. I want to give a big shout out to all the people who I've interviewed this month whose names are too numerous to mention individually. Your shows are coming up over the next several months. Thank you so much for sharing your stories.
1: Don't forget to do your ABC quick check because I don't want to lose any fans.
0: That's right, Tarrant. You never know what could come undone in between rides, so make sure to you check your air, your brakes, your chain, and to check the quick releases before you go on a ride. Until next time everybody. Keyboat
4: wheel. <laughs>